Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. This morning, we are resuming our study in the book of Job, wrestling with the difficult question, why do the godly suffer? We're going to be reading three chapters today, chapter 32, 33, and 34. All of these are some discourse from a new person who's entering the conversation. Um, Obviously, this person's been sitting there the whole time. He just hasn't been going back and forth with Job uh, like the other three friends have. But at this point, he is going to start to speak. And this is one friend who actually speaks from wisdom. Interestingly enough, he uh, his name is Elihu, and he he explains that he's reserved from speaking to start with because he's younger than everybody else, and he didn't feel like it was proper for him to just start entering the conversation and sharing opinions uh, right out of the gate. There's a lot of wisdom with this character, Elihu, by the way, or Elhu. Uh, means he is my God. And it says that he is the son of Barak El. And remember, all Hebrew names, at least in the Bible, mean things. So Barak means blessed or blessing, and El means God. So Barak El means God blesses. So this is who Elihu is. Elihu is a godly man. His name means he is my God. His father's name means God's blessing. And so he's going to be having a conversation with Job. He's going to rebuke both Job and Job's friends. And the very first thing he's going to rebuke Job about is Job's perceived righteousness in his own eyes. And that is one argument that we've seen Job make over and over and over. He just continues to reiterate how he is righteous. Elihu's also going to uh, deal with Job in the sense that Job seems to uh, blame God, if you will, or charge God with injustice. Elihu's going to be like, no, that's that's definitely not uh, the real truth here. And of course, he's going to blame. He's going to rebuke Job's friends also because. Rather than be understanding about Job's circumstances, all they want to do is argue. And so he's going to deal with that as well. I'm going to read the first five verses. And then I'm going to read a little tiny paragraph from Matthew Henry. And then the rest is just going to be me reading this story, this discourse from Elihu. So let's start with the first few verses here to get things started. Job chapter 32, verse 1, King James Bible. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. I think that is an important thing to take note of. That's the first verse. These three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. You know, we have kind of two extremes that exist in our culture today when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to faith in Christ. And that is, we either have greasy grace, 
which is appalling to me. And that's this idea that you can live and do whatever you want, you know, God's grace. It's the prosperity gospel. It's also, it's not just the prosperity gospel, though. It's also the attitude that there's no reason to seek and walk after righteousness and holiness because you can't be righteous anyway, so, so you just do as you please. That's uh, just an abomination, in my opinion. But on the flip side, then we have those who are just, who think they're righteous in their own eyes. They literally think that their actions make them righteous, not understanding that their works are filthy rags before God, not understanding that their motives most of the time are selfish ambition. And they are just as bad. And in many ways, they're like the character and the story that Jesus tells where he says, you know, he's got the Pharisee and he's got the man beating his chest. And you should know that story. But the Pharisee is looking over at the common man. He's like, I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here. You know, I fast three times a week and I do this and I do that. That is just as bad as the greasy gracer. Because you still don't get it. You still don't get that your righteousness comes from God. And even your ability to walk in righteousness comes from God. And your measure of faith that you have comes from God. So with that said, Job's friends are like, okay, we can't deal with Job. We can't talk to him because he's righteous in his own eyes. Like, there's no... There's no way to go back and forth with somebody who thinks they they are flawless. So here's, let's start again. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram against Job. Was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. You see, the friends continued to condemn Job even though they didn't have an actual answer for what was happening to him or why. It was just like speculations. Verse 4, Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. So he finally gets to the point where he's like, okay, I can't take it anymore. It's time for some real truth and some real wisdom. So he's frustrated with Job because Job justifies himself rather than God. He's upset with the friends because all they do is condemn Job, even though they don't have an answer for what's actually going on. He's held, his, he's held back his speak because he understands that he's the younger of the group. But when he saw, it says in verse 5, that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. Here's what Matthew Henry says. Job's friends were silenced, but not convinced. Others had been present. Elihu was justly displeased with Job as more anxious to clear his own character than the justice and goodness of God. Elihu was displeased with Job's friends because they had not been candid to Job. Seldom is a quarrel begun 
more seldom is a quarrel carried on in which there are not faults on both sides. Those that seek for truth must not reject what is true and good on either side, nor approve or defend what is wrong. All right, now we're just going to start reading, starting with verse 6. We've got three chapters to get through, and I'm going to do my best to stop interrupting. And let's let the Word of God speak to our hearts this morning. Verse 6. And Elihu the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young, and you are very old. Wherefore I was afraid, and dost not show you my opinion. I said days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in a man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, Hearken to me, and I will also show you my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words, I gave ear to your reasons, whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, it was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words. Lest you should say, We have found out wisdom, God thrusteth him down, not man. Now, he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed, and they answered no more. They left off speaking. And when I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show my opinion. For I am full of matter, the spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak, that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept, my, my, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give flattering titles, in so doing my Maker would soon take me away. Chapter 33 Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches, and hearken to all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth, my tongue hath spoken in my mouth, my words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me, stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Surely thou hast spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasion against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his, of his matters. 
For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep asleep fallen upon men, and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose, and hide pride from man. He keepeth back his soul from the pit, and his life from perishing by the sword. He is chastened also with a pain upon his bed, and in the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread, and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away, that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto a man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which is right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Please note. Obviously, there's a lot being said here, but did you catch these last couple of verses? He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto him men's righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, so God's looking, and if any men say this, I have sinned, I have perverted that which is right, and it profited me not. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. What is? What are we talking about here? It's, it's confession of sin. It's acknowledging. It's it's the opposite of pride, right? What's happening here is Elihu's calling, the attention to men need to repent. All of us are in the same boat in that regard. And that God sends affliction on people for their own good. Hmm. That's rough, isn't it? That's a rough truth. God sends affliction on men for their own good. Can I read a little bit more commentary to you from Matthew Henry? Dealing with verses 19 through 28, where he starts to talk about how he chastened with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pains, so that his life aborth bread and his soul dainty meat, his flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not sticking out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. Matthew Henry says this, he says, Job complained of his diseases and judged by them that God was angry with him. His friends so too. But Elihu shows that God often afflicts the body for the good of the soul. This thought will be of great use for our getting good 
from sickness, and by which God speaks to men. Pain is the fruit of sin, yet, by the grace of God, the pain of the body is often made a means of good to the soul. When afflictions have done their work, they shall be removed. A ransom or propitiation is found. Jesus Christ is the messenger and the ransom. So Elihu calls him, as Job has called him, his redeemer. For he is both the purchaser and the price, the priest and the sacrifice. And I'll stop there. But that thought right there. Elihu shows that God often afflicts the body for the good of the soul. This thought will be of great use for our getting good from sickness, in by which God speaks to men. Pain is the fruit of sin, yet by God's grace, the pain of the body is often made a means of good to the soul. When afflictions have done their work, then they shall be removed. That's resonating with me uh, for personal reasons. And many of you may be dealing with something you're like, why is this come upon me? And you start to go down the line, okay, which what sin is God angry with me about and that, that he's doing this to me? There's a purpose in that affliction, but it has to do with the soul, for the good of the soul. Which can be very difficult to understand sometimes because there's a spiritual purpose and we're looking at it from the physical and the natural. Let's continue on. I'm running out of time here. Let's start back with verse 27. He looketh upon men. If any say, I have sinned and perverted that which is right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. To bring back his soul from the pit. To be enlightened with the light of the living. Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. Chapter 34. Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge. For the ear trieth words, as the mouth tasteth meat. Let us choose to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job hath said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. What man is like Job who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in the company of workers of iniquity and walketh with wicked men? For he hath said, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. For the work of man shall render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. Who hath given him charge over the earth, or who hath disposed the whole world? 
If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again to dust. If now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my words. Shall even he that hateth righteous, shall, shall even he that hateth right govern? And will thou condemn him that is most just? Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked, and to princes you are ungodly? How much less to him that accepteth not the person or princes, or regardeth the rich more than the poor? For they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they shall die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight, and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without a hand. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he will not lay upon man more than right, and he should not enter into judgment with God. He shall break in pieces mighty men without number, and set others in their stead. Therefore he knoweth their works, and he overturneth them in the night, so that they are destroyed. He striketh them as wicked men, in the open sight of others, because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways. So that they caused the cry of the poor to come unto him, and heareth the cry of the afflicted. When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Whether it be done against him, a nation, or against a man only. That the hypocrite reign not, lest the people be ensnared. Surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement, I will not offend any more. That which I see not, teach thou me, if I have done iniquity, I will do more. Should it be according to thy mind? He will recompense it, whether thou refuse or whether thou choose, and not I. Therefore speak what thou knowest. Let men of understanding tell me, and let wise men hearken unto me. Job hath spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answer, answers for wicked men. For he addeth rebellion unto his sin, he clappeth his hands among us, and multiplieth his words against God. And that is the end of chapter 34. What Elihu is saying in this chapter is that there is the accusations that Job has made charging God with injustice cannot be done because God, God cannot be charged with injustice. He is justice. And then he reproves Job at the end there. And that's how that chapter ends. And that's all we have time for this morning. But when we Resume our study next week. Elihu's going to continue to sharply reprove Job about these concepts. And he's making a lot of sense. And my hope is that today, if you took nothing else away from our study, that you remember those words um, dealing I'm trying to find them here again. At least those are speaking to me. 
where Elihu is talking about the affliction. And then that, that, that quote from Matthew Henry. Let me just read it one more time. Because I think he just does a great job of kind of summarizing those thoughts found in chapter 34. Let me end with that. Job complained of his diseases. And judged by them that God was angry with him. His friends so too. But Elihu shows that God often afflicts the body for the good of the soul. This thought will be of great use for our getting good from sickness in and by which God speaks to men. Pain is the fruit of sin, yet by the grace of God, the pain of the body is often made a means of good to the soul. When afflictions have done their work, they shall be removed. I pray you've been blessed this morning. Please pray for the podcast. Please consider supporting it by going to scriptureandprophecy.com. There's a support and donate tab at the top. Thank you for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.